He's got, uh, he knows about our mental needs, he knows about our emotional needs, he knows about our spiritual needs and how all of those things uh, are joined up and interlinked. And actually, emotional health is something that is, uh, is really important because it's a key part of uh, who we are. And it's something that God cares a lot about and you can uh, see that coming through a lot of scripture. Um, so the way we've structured this series uh, is to look at a few key characters uh, that just draw out uh, some elements of uh, what, emo- what emotional health can look like. Um, so uh, we started, uh, the first character we looked at was Elijah. Duncan uh, looked at Elijah a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then last week, um, Dom looked at Mary and uh, the topic uh, of uh, grief and the emotional journey that she went on from the incredible high of finding out that she uh, would be the one who would bear the saviour uh, to seeing him dying on the cross. Um, and in all of these journeys, the thing uh, that joins them up uh, is God, um, is the one uh, that shows them a way forward. Uh, and is, is their healer, is the, their restorer. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to be looking at a prophet uh, from the Old Testament. So if you can turn uh, in your Bible to the book of Habakkuk, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, and uh, we see in this short book, uh, this uh, prophet, this guy, engaging with doubts and questions in a really emotionally healthy uh, way. So just as you're uh, turning to that, um, I just want to say that uh, I think that as we've looked at the topics in the previous weeks, it may well be that as you have gone through things that are maybe a little bit similar to maybe what Elijah went through with uh, the kind of anxiety and stress uh, or the you know, emotional roller coaster that Mary was on, all of us have had elements of that Uh, in the last couple of years, uh, as we've gone through this pandemic time. Uh, It may be that questions of God and doubts about God uh, have arisen for you as a result of experiencing uh, those things. Questions like, God, where were you when whatever it was happened? But I think it's also really worth saying that actually... Deep questions are a very normal part and doubts are a very normal part uh, of discovering and exploring uh, who God is. In our family, uh, we love questions and we get, Helen and I get quite a lot of them. And strangely, strangely, they seem to very often come about 30 seconds before lights out at bedtime. The most astute theological question comes your way and you think, hmm. (laughs) Jesus surrounded himself uh, with followers who had a lot of questions, who had a lot of doubts. And the Bible is really honest about this. They even doubted his resurrection. So what we're looking at this week, um, I've chosen to, to... Uh, to look at Habakkuk because he had uh, some big questions and his questions were about God's justice and God's fairness. 
Um, and uh, the structure of this book uh, is it's three uh, fairly short chapters. Uh, chapter one starts with two questions and God responding to those questions. Uh, chapter two goes a bit more into God's response uh, to uh, Habakkuk. And then Habakkuk um, makes some observations and says some things back to God about all the stuff that God's been saying. And then chapter three is this incredible chapter where um, Habakkuk just has this revelation of God uh, and then he prays in response to that. So what we're going to do as we look through this book uh, this morning, I want to step back from the content of the questions. The questions are about justice or about fairness of God um, and see what helpful principles we can draw from this uh, about how we handle doubt. So it might not be that you have questions about God's justice that get you in a similar place to where Habakkuk was. It could be any number of other questions. Um, But I'd like to draw out these principles to apply in the moments where we might feel, because of what's going on, uh, God, do I actually know you anymore? God, what, what are you doing? And we'll look at Habakkuk's conversation with God for the principles that will help us in our conversations with God. Is everyone on board with that? Does that sound good? Yeah, I'm getting some nods. Good. Right, let's go then. Hopefully you found Habakkuk now. (laughs) So uh, let's start uh, chapter 1, verse 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not say... Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralysed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk, in these first few verses, he's looking at his own nation, uh, the people of God. He's saying, we're supposed to be God's people, but there's so much here that isn't okay. And I've been asking you to do something about this, and you haven't. And then God answers him in the next verse, uh, verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you are told. And then he tells him. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth, seized dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth for themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh every fortress, for they pile up earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So God is saying, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. This is uh, the Babylonians. um, And uh, they're going to come and they're going to take over this nation of Israel. So then Habakkuk has another question on the back of this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. 
You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And then there's this passage about fish from verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his nets. He gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For, their, for by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, so we've got question one. I'm looking at my own nation. It doesn't look good. I've been asking, God, will you do something about this? And God hasn't answered and it's carrying on. And then God answers that and says, well, actually, I'm bringing in another nation. It will take over this one. And Habakkuk says, hang on, God. They're even worse. How does this fix the problem? And in the context of what's going on here, actually, the, is, the nation has broken up. Uh, there's a split between Israel and Judah. Um, so Israel is the northern kingdoms. Judah, he's in the southern kingdom. Uh, and they've seen uh, the Assyrians come into the northern kingdom. Uh, that's one nation swallowing up another. Uh, and he's, he then goes on to talk about, use these kind of, all this fish stuff. Um, for them, the sea is a place of chaos. Um, there, where there's no ruler. If you look at verse 12, um, uh, sorry, 14, he says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So God sets a fisherman to rule over this chaos, but that fisherman, that man, is Babylon. And Babylon is the centre of evil, and that's the place where they hate God. So this fisherman, he's saying, you know, this, this, that's what all this stuff about fish is about. He's saying, how is it okay that Babylon are just, you know, swallowing up all these smaller nations? We might use the phrase, oh, this is just a shark tank. It's all meaningless. He's saying to God, didn't you say we were special? Are our nation just another fish rounded up with all the, all the rest? At the bottom of this question is, is basically about the problem of evil. Um, but I want to, we could go off on a long way down that question. I want to, as I said, I want to take a step back from that and say, what are the principles going on here in what happens from this point? And how does Habakkuk deal with these big questions? And how does um, God relate with him? The thing I love about this book um, is it's got some incredibly helpful imagery in it. So the start of chapter two, you have this picture of him standing. He says, I will stake my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower to look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's standing on the city wall and he's looking out like a watchman. 
questions that we have, doubts that we have, will very often take us right to the edge of what we're comfortable with. And the watchman must look out at the whole of the horizon, not knowing what's coming. We can't afford to look down and get self-absorbed. There is a, a temptation to tie up our own answer when we have questions and to stop looking. And that can be quite emotionally unhealthy because there aren't really any questions that we ask of God that have zero emotional content, zero emotional connection with God. We always ask questions for a reason. So if we tie up the question, you actually end up burying all of the associated emotion uh, with that question. The things like, can I really trust God? Is he really faithful to answer me? Keeping a question live and open with God, like Habakkuk does here, requires courage and it requires vulnerability. And at the end of that section, he says, I will look out to see what he will say to me. And then he says, what I will answer. No, it's not saying what God will answer, what I will answer. So what he's saying is, when I get an answer from God, what I say back to God, I haven't premeditated. I'm genuinely listening. I haven't tied up the answer. So, God answers then in the next verse, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run that reads it. So here's the next point. I think I know that a lot of you like journaling. If you ever wanted it, here is a scriptural mandate for journaling. (laughs) Writing it down. Last week, Dom really helpfully led us through uh, three steps in dealing with emotion. Be honest. Be honest about the emotion. Accept the emotion. And then decide to trust God. And we can so often jump to the I should be trusting God bit and we skip the first two steps in that. And there's so much scripture that is around those first two steps and how important they are. Writing stuff down, for me, has massively helped me to process and ground things that are going around in my head, to just get it down on a piece of paper. When it's plain on paper, everything resizes more appropriately. For me, writing stuff down can be the difference between it kind of going round and round in my head and then you get the... Do you ever get this? The, I think this, and then, oh, that's, that, then that, that's even worse, and that's even bigger, and then, and then, and then, and it just escalates. Whereas getting it down on paper, like Habakkuk does here, where he's, he's making it plain on tablets, um, which is actually really costly in their day. We're so privileged to be able to just write stuff so easily. Writing it down can, for me, can get me to the point of actually understanding what's going on for me emotionally. I'm putting the facts and the, emotion, the, the intellectual stuff down on the, on the paper, the things that I need to understand, 
And then I can start to map the emotion onto that, make the links, and being able to walk away from the brain chatter that goes along with all of that and just leave it there and come away in peace saying, okay, I'm leaving that open with you guys. Please, will you do something about that? And I can put it down from my head. In the very next verse, God teaches Habakkuk the value of waiting, of waiting on him, of patience. So God says, chapter 2, verse 3, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then you get this, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is an amazing verse right in the middle of this, uh, of this um, prophecy that's written for us. I love it because it's wonderfully ambiguous. What faith? So you can read it very straightforwardly or as the righteous shall live by his faith in this vision that, that Habakkuk is writing. You can read it as this, the righteous shall live by his faith as in his choice to trust God. The righteous shall live by his faith, by Jesus's faithfulness. That's what you live off. And that gets vote quoted uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it's a springboard that Paul uses to do his whole letter to the Romans. What follows uh, in chapter 2, verse 5 uh, to 20, uh, is Habakkuk's emotionally honest reaction to God, what God has told him. And he pours out multiple woes. We're not going to go through all of them. Um, basically, what's, what Habakkuk is saying is, I really don't like this idea. Here are lots of reasons why I really don't like the Babylonians. And it's raw and it's real. But then you kind of almost stumble across in the middle of all of this, like, coming out onto the, the, onto the paper, Verse 13, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labour merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? That's the crux of his complaint. He's saying, is it actually just all pointless? And the very next verse he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk is saying to God in one breath, I don't feel like I know you anymore. And in the very next breath, everyone is going to know your glory. The earth itself will be indistinguishable from that glory, just as you can't make a difference between waters and the sea. They're completely indistinguishable from each other. He's leading, God is leading him to understand through looking at the, the long picture of where all of this is going. So we've had Habakkuk being incredibly honest. That was Dom's first step. 
Then in chapter 3, we have him accepting uh, the, the emotion, accepting um, what's going on. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendour covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. This is the way that Habakkuk brings his acceptance of what God's been saying. In wrath, remember your mercy. God, I understand that you will do this. And then he has this, what follows in the next verses is this amazing a vision that continues from verse 3 that God, uh, that he has of God. And this vision that he has of God is, uh, shows him the awesomeness and the imminence of God. God is not far off, although it seemed that way. He doesn't just visit Habakkuk's forefathers. He's doing something new now. He's showing himself Why does God wait for now and not the bit where Habakkuk was watching and waiting at the wall? Maybe Habakkuk thought, this is embarrassing. I've had to wait around and write down all of those woes. Why didn't you show up then? I was on the wall waiting for you. But God has a wisdom that we can see now looking back. Habakkuk has an honest conversation with God about where he's at and what he needs. And it does seem that God seems late. He said back at the beginning of chapter 2, the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Back in the autumn... Um, Fiona just brought a brilliant prophetic word to us that was reminding us about that feeling that we can get. Sometimes it feels like Jesus is late. Jesus is late at the calming of the storm, she reminded us. Why does the storm all blow up and he's just asleep? Lazarus dies and Jesus, Jesus doesn't show up. Why didn't you show up and make everything okay? We might never know the answer ourselves, but it does make sense When you look at the big picture, Habakkuk could never have conceived of Paul using his words to launch his letter to the Roman church about the faithfulness of Jesus. And really interestingly, that letter follows a similar kind of pattern to Habakkuk with the questions and responses. So Paul uses that same kind of structure. Here's a question. Now I'm going to answer it. Here's a question about Jesus. Now I'm going to answer it. It's the same God. We don't always get to see everything, but God is still awesome. He's still faithful. He's still trustworthy. He's well able to deal uh, with our doubts. At the end uh, of chapter 3, we have Habakkuk's decision to trust God. Here it is, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, 
and the fields yields no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So he's saying, even if all of these really bad things happen, not only will I choose to trust, I will also rejoice, I will take joy, I will take strength. And this wasn't arrived at immediately. He didn't rush to the end. He was first honest. He accepted the emotion that he was feeling without judging. And then he decided to trust. I'd like to invite the band back up, just as I sum up here, and I'd like to pray for us all, and they're going to lead us in a response time. So here are the steps that Habakkuk took in being honest and then accepting. First of all, God told him to write his questions down. It was very costly back then. It's very easy for us now. We're very privileged. He took it into the edge of comfort. That's the picture of him as a watchman on the walls. He's right on the edge, looking out. I don't know what's coming over the horizon. But despite all that, he kept his question open. He looked out, he looked up at God and not down. He didn't try to tie it all up, find his own answer. He said, I will see what God will say and what I will answer. It's not, I've already decided what I'm going to say back to you, God, about this. He's he's keeping the question open. Thirdly, in his waiting, he vented his frustration. There were all these woes to the Babylonians. And God, in that, showed him the long view, this incredible verse about the waters covering the sea. Having done all that, he came to a place of acceptance. And in that acceptance, God revealed himself. And then he decided to trust. And that led him to this amazing prayer and worship. So I just want to pray for all of us now, and the band are going to lead us. Lord, I just thank you for this amazing book of the Bible, your word. Lord, I pray for all of us as we have, as we go through life and we have doubts, we have questions, I pray that we would know you close to us. I pray you would help us where we're tempted to tie up all of the loose ends that that seemed so untidy with our own answers. I pray we would keep our eyes open, keep looking up, keep seeing what you're doing, keep trusting you. I pray that you would show us where we need to be open and honest with you and not try to pretend that it's all fine. And I pray that you would bring your healing. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for that is the place that we find life. And it absolutely didn't make sense to the people who were looking at it in that moment. But we know that was the moment that there was victory over evil, over everything that is wrong with the world that could be put straight again. And thank you that we live in the benefit of that. 
I just pray that we would know your love and your faithfulness holding us every day of our walk with you. Amen.